0: Memorial Day to you, my name is Alan, and as I get started, I want to give you an update on our missions offering. We took a, uh, our twice a year, we take up a missions offering where every penny that comes in, unless it is designated towards general fund, every penny that comes in wonderfully goes outside of these walls to uh, bless those that God is inviting us to bless. And so I wanted to give you an update on that, kind of good news, uh, bad news. Uh, our goal was 55,000, we were a little bit short, we came in uh, this my understanding at this point we're at about 37,000. So we are a little bit short. If some of you did not have the opportunity to participate in our missions offering, we would love for you to be able to uh, still do that. You can just designate a, a checker on an envelope, missions, and we'll make sure it gets to that fund. Uh, the good news is that we are giving away $37,000 uh, in order to help uh, others. So that's, that's a wonderful thing. That's awesome. So I want to say thank you. Thank you to those of you who have uh, once again stepped up and to those of you particularly who have stepped up for the first time and said, I, I want to uh, trust God in this way. Our plan is, uh, is to um, go into a missions um, budget line item that we have uh, for the year to dip into that so that we can... Uh, make up the difference and respond to those that uh, we are hoping to respond to, and then we'll see how that plays out for the rest of the year. So again, if you can still participate, fantastic, but I wanted to give you an update. That is the plan. So uh, this morning, here we are continuing the whole shebang. For those of you who perhaps are visiting on our uh, weekend here, we're taking all of 2010 to look at the grand epic story of God, calling it the whole shebang. And just as a reminder, I want to show you a little commercial once again. Here you go, here you go. We invite you to bring your Bible. We're going to be looking at it every every time throughout this series. And to bring your binder, we'll give you a piece of paper to fold in there so that this, this whole story can unravel right before our eyes together and just think, you only have six more months to hear that commercial. That's it. Six more months and then it'll be gone, folks. I know it might be annoying, but it'll be gone at one point and then you'll miss it. I know you will. Okay, uh, may, perhaps you will. Well, last week we started at the fourth tab in the binder section there, that we started off with the Exodus, then the exile, then the Messiah, and now we're into the revolution. And uh, last week we looked at the fact that the revolution story is found in the New Testament in the first book following the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then there's the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is basically the central story of the rest of the New Testament. And the rest of the New Testament, all the writings and, and, and letters, they fit into the book of Acts at some point. And that's what we're going to see over, as the weeks continue. What we looked at last week is the fact that being part of the revolution means that we are, to, we are called to do something. To do something. That it's called the book of Acts. It's not called the book of ponder, the book of consider, the book of. Maybe someday it's called the Book of Acts. Let us do something now. One might look at these tabs and say, "Revolution, man, that sounds a little strong. Revolution. Maybe that is that overstating a little bit. Is that perhaps a little overly dramatic? I don't think so. Uh, It really is a revolution. I mean, what was happening here is that the world was heading in one direction." and god chose through the person of jesus christ to inspire 12 teenagers to change the world to change the direction of the entire world with this revolution of love it is not an overstatement to say that it is a revolution that that unfolds in the book of acts and the beautiful thing is it is a 2000 year revolution that we get to be a part of you have a significant role in this journey and what we're going to look at this morning is the fact that this revolution is bigger than you or i could possibly imagine and hopefully we'll be inspired by the story in acts here this morning would you bow your heads and pray with me father we want to be moved by you this morning we want to be moved by your story god would you come and um, and, and shake our bones, God, that this would not be a, an hour of, of just church, but this would be an encounter with you. God, that you have stirred men and women for thousands of years to do radical things in your name. And so, God, I know there are many folks here in this room who are making great sacrifices because of the call that you've put on their lives. And I pray, God, that you would, as I said, just rattle our bones, shake us, to the point where we, would want, where we would want to not miss the role that you're inviting us into. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple months ago, a gentleman in my D group, our uh, Doing Life Together group, our small group, I, I'm in a couples group, I have been for uh, uh, quite some time, and one of the guys emailed the rest of the guys in the group and said, Do you want to go hike the Grand Canyon? And I thought, well, I'd never seen the Grand Canyon, never been there. And I, and I thought, well, uh, it sounds great. I'd love to, to do that. And so the plan was, in this email, the plan was to hike down to the bottom and back up in one day. And I figured, well, what's, what's the big deal? I mean, how hard can that be? I, I have hiked South Mountain numerous times in one day. I mean, all the way up Telegraph Pass and down one day. Thank you very much. Many times. How hard, how grand... Can the Grand Canyon be really really well we uh, we, did, we decided to prep for this, and uh, I want to show you a picture of the gang. This is the gang uh, on the top of the Grand Canyon. You can see uh, they 're really not an impressive group uh, uh, see they're, they're a bunch of, they're a bunch of old people really, for the most part, and so how could I not think I could keep up with these guys and and hike the Grand canyon? How could i How can I not do that? Now, the the guy in the middle, his name is Mark, and he is kind of our resident expert. He's the only one of us five who has hiked the Grand Canyon before. And he introduced me to a new word. Perhaps you've heard this word before. It's the word turret. Anyone ever heard the word turret? Okay. It's a tourist idiot uh, at the Grand Canyon. And a turret is the guy who goes to the Grand Canyon, looks over the edge, and goes, Man, that's cool. Why don't we go ahead and walk down there? You sure that's safe? Yeah, I got a bottle of water and some good sandals. That ought to be good. And a turret is the one who jumps into the Grand Canyon doing that. Now, I kind of felt like, are we turrets? Is he, is he describing what a turret is because I'm here? Is that is that what this is about? But I realized that we weren't turrets. See, we had backpacks on. We had water packs. We had uh, hiking shoes. We, got, we were there at 6 o'clock in the morning, and we were going for this trip. So we weren't turrets, but I did get a little bit. Nervous when on our trip we saw the following sign, and it is a warning sign that says uh, you can't read it there, but it, uh, but it says do not try to hike to the bottom and back up in one day. You will likely die of heat exhaustion. People die. Don't do it. You're an idiot. You're a tourist. Uh, if if you do this here, so I'm reading this sign and I'm thinking, oh no. Oh, no, I'm uh, rather nervous at this point as uh, I'm doing uh, the deal. But because of the grace of God, we go all the way down, three and a half hour hike down to the bottom. We take an hour break when we get there, six hour uh, plus hike on the way up. And we make it to the top, and this is what we look like at the top. Uh, Yay, we're not quite as enthusiastic anymore. There's one idiot lying down on the ground, barely Barely keep his head up. We're all sitting down now. The last two uh, two miles were excruciating coming up out of that because they they got all these kids. We went, for those of you who are Grand Canyon uh, junkies, we went down South Kaibab and went up Bright Angel. And at the top of Bright Angel, the last two miles, it was seven miles down, nine miles up. Last two miles coming up were excruciating. None of us were talking at all. On the way down, we're skipping and we're talking about life and all this and talking about God and how beautiful this is. On the way up, we're just... Uh, uh, my knee was burning with every step and if I was doing anything else I would just stop but I was two miles short of the rim you got to keep on going the whole thing you understand what I'm saying here now the the reason I'm sharing this with you is that something wonderful happened to me on the way down as I as we got started on the south rim again going down South Kaibab and looking down here's the view that we saw about 20 minutes into the journey this is about 20 minutes into, the, into our hike. We started uh, cutting down that canyon there. And this was absolutely magnificent. And this was uh, my first view of the Grand Canyon. My very first view. And so what I could see, and I even have a pointer so that I help you out. See, these are so, I could, I could hurt somebody with this. I could blind you out. But somebody earlier said, who gave him a pointer? But here... Here I want to. This is the north rim, across the edge, and it really, it's the same on this one, too. it's right there. Uh, this is the north rim, and this is obviously the whole uh, valley of the Grand Canyon. And from where we were, about 20 minutes into the hike, I looked down and I saw this tiny little crack. You see that? This tiny little crack. And so from my perspective, for the first hour and a half, the Grand Canyon was this huge, huge thing that was pouring down, and then a tiny little crack at the bottom. Huge Grand Canyon, tiny little crack at the bottom. But then we hiked for a couple hours, and we entered into that crack. And this is what it looked like. The the picture cannot grasp how massive this little tiny crack was. What seemed like a tiny little crack at the bottom of this huge Grand Canyon, once we got into it, was as big as I imagined the Grand Canyon being. This tiny little crack was as big as I imagined the entire Grand Canyon being, and it was magnificent. That down there in the very little here, let me get my weapon here again. This here, this is the Colorado River. This tiny little thing over here. It was it was still way down there, fifteen hundred feet or so, still going down there. It was absolutely magnific- magnificent. The Grand Canyon is way bigger than I possibly imagined, way bigger. And the point that I want to make here this morning with regard to the revolution is that it is way bigger than any of us can even imagine. Even some of you who are heavily involved in the, in the kingdom of God the, the revolution is way bigger than we could possibly imagine. In fact, if you do take notes, if you have that sheet that we handed on the way in, I want you to cross out the title, if you will. I actually changed my mind on the title of this morning's message after it went to the printer. My bad. Cross out United We Stand. That We'll get to that. It'll, you'll see why I originally wanted to call it that. Uh, does it have part two titled United We Stand? Yeah. yeah. Cross that output bigger than you could imagine if you care about the t- a title. Bigger than you could imagine. I was thinking of having uh, a bunch of volunteers uh, go after the 1,200 uh, sheets and do that for you, but that task in and of itself was kind of bigger than I, I could imagine. So what I've asked you to do is, is you do a little bit of work. Earn, earn your way here just a little bit this morning. So uh, cross that out here. See, up until this point, the entire whole shebang story was all was 99.9% about the Jewish people. Up until this point, it was a Jewish experience. The Old Testament was obviously a Jewish story. Every once in a while they would interact with other cultures, but for the most part, it was a Jewish story. Jesus was a Jew. All 12 disciples were Jewish. Pentecost what we looked at last week that was a Jewish experience yes they came in from different nations and there were different languages and the Pentecost happened that a whole wonderful thing happened that we looked at last week but they were all Jews they were either Jews or Jewish converts who had gathered for Pentecost they wouldn't have been there unless they were converted to Judaism up until this point it was a Jewish experience and now the doors are getting blown wide open because this story through the revolution the whole shebang is going way beyond the Jewish people way beyond the Jewish nation if you remember last week we looked at the fact that Jesus said to the disciples you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem very Jewish in Judea which is the region around Jerusalem rather Jewish and Samaria which is the region north of of Jerusalem less Jewish, and then to the ends of the earth. The whole world now is going to be invited into the whole shebang, is going to be invited into the revolution. And so what we looked at last week is the Jerusalem part of it, and now we're going to take a look at a few chapters that represent this spreading out into Judea and Samaria. And what we're going to look at is three chapters, chapters 8, 9, and 10 in the book of Acts, and each of these chapters talk about a different man a different revolutionary and each of them start with the letter p so these are the three revolutionary p's and we're going to look at at how each of their story help us to reveal that the revolution is bigger than we could possibly imagine so i invite you to join with me in chapter eight we're going to look at the first revolutionary his name is philip Chapter 8, verse 26. There's a story prior to this, but we're going to jump in in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, so here, Philip is in Jerusalem, and the angel says, Go south, go down, away from Jerusalem. I'm going beyond Jerusalem now. He's still in Judea, still in the region around Jerusalem, but I want you to go south toward Gaza. And then he has an interaction. Verse 27, so he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, And stay near it. Now much can be said about this Ethiopian eunuch. About his role as a... Uh, an, an official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. And what exactly does this mean? And, and Ethiopia, which is not modern-day Ethiopia, but it is, it is south, um, it's still in Africa. And much can be said about that, and the fact that he was a eunuch, which would have been a really difficult thing to experience for a man, uh, and different uh, things that are going on there. But the point here is that this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch was not a Jew was not part of the, tip. did not look like a typical Jew. God, through this story, was speaking to someone who was outside of the whole shebang story so, so far. What happens is that the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah. He's reading, actually, Isaiah chapter 53, a chapter that we have referred to more than once here in the whole shebang journey, written hundreds of years prior to Jesus. It's this amazing chapter where Isaiah says there will be a suffering servant, there will be a, a Messiah who will one day come and um, bring freedom to all the people to all the world and this is talked about in Isaiah and the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip what is this talking about who is this what is this about to happen and then Philip says this has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ and the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized right then and there and the amazing thing which is a part of this story is that God had been working in the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch prior to Philip meeting up with him in other words This revolution, this story is way bigger than Philip had imagined. That he was away from Jerusalem and he encountered somebody that God had been speaking to. Is there anybody in your life that you would put in the category of least likely to be moved by the person of Jesus Christ? That, that, that family member, that person that you think, this is, this is somebody who is, there's no way that God's going to have access to this person. I know your Uncle Ernie is a little creepy and the whole kind of whatever the story might be for you, but do you think that God is so small that he doesn't have access to those hearts? I want you to be encouraged this morning that those people, maybe it is your spouse, maybe it is one of your wayward children, that God is working in the hearts of those that he cares about even more than you. This story... Is bigger than you could possibly imagine. Be encouraged and don't write them off. You don't know what's happening behind the scene. You don't know the miracles that God is working in people's lives to move them, to woo them toward Him. The revolution is bigger than you could possibly imagine. Jump to the next chapter, chapter 9. To look at the next revolutionary man, starting with the letter P. And this is the big guy. This is Paul's story. He's referenced a couple times prior to this, but this is really his introductory story. Chapter 9, beginning verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I know Saul doesn't start with a P, but his name is changed later on from Saul to Paul so I can get away with the 3P thing. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues. This is just a reminder of who Saul was. Letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they referred to as the followers of Jesus Christ, He becomes blinded and he stumbles into Damascus and he is encountered by a man named Ananias. God had spoken to Ananias and said, I want you to go and meet Saul. And this was Ananias' response in verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests To arrest all who call on your name. In other words, with all due respect, God, this doesn't sound like a good idea. And maybe you've missed out on what Saul has done and who he is, but I'm not really a fan of this whole plan. He says, I've heard many reports. Keep in mind, they don't have the internet, they don't have television, they don't have radio. For somebody in Damascus to know, for people in Damascus to know about this guy named Saul... He must have been a tremendously bad dude. A tremendously bad dude. And here's what happens. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Again, you never know what, is, what God is doing in the hearts of those around us. Those that we think would be the least likely to make an impact in the kingdom. We don't know what God is doing in their hearts. This story is bigger than we could imagine. And here Saul becomes Paul and he becomes transformed. He ends up writing 12 of the books that are in our New Testament. 12 of the 27 books are authored by this man named Paul. And many... Uh, scholars would say overall he has a message we're going to continue to look at his letters in the upcoming weeks but he has a, a general message many would say of unity that he is saying through his letters that we need to come together at one point he said there is neither male nor female there is neither slave nor free greek nor jew Greek nor Jew, yes, we're individuals, etc. But when it comes to the revolution, when it comes to our significance as part of the revolution, there is no difference. We are all to be a part of this thing. Don't think that you're, that you're not valid enough because of who you are or because of your past. There is no Jew or Greek in terms of being involved with the work of the kingdom. Paul talks throughout his letters, he talks about uh, what James Dunn refers to as, as boundary markers. These ways that we very negatively separate ourselves from one another and we draw lines and we say, well, you're over there and I'm over here. And for them, they had three huge boundary markers that were consistently a part of the Jew-Gentile interaction that came for, for many, many, many years uh, as, as they interacted and as they grew with one another. Three boundary markers. One was food and one was uh, the Sabbath and one was circumcision. Food was about what is okay to eat and not eat and that this is unclean and this is not unclean. The Sabbath was a deep part of Jewish history and their heritage and the, the Gentiles, the Greeks, they just saw the Sabbath as an opportunity to be lazy. You take a whole day off once, once a week. It's just being lazy. So they had this, this combative difference there. And then with regard to circumcision, again, the Jews thought this was a rich part of their history. And the Greeks just thought that would be painful. I'm not interested. And so there was all this, uh, this boundary marker separation that's going on. And Paul is screaming throughout his letters. He is just saying, we need to get over this stuff. We need to, th- let's not let this stuff be divisive. And we create our own boundary markers in in the church today. And we say, well, you believe this. You have this kind of experience with the Holy Spirit. You have had this kind of tradition. You have had this. I'm going to draw this line. Draw this line over here. Draw this line over here. And Paul is saying, we need to come together. There's a revolution going on, and it is bigger than any of us can possibly imagine. We need to come together together. Now, I know that there are reasons for division in the church. I I know that there are reasons for us to struggle with one another and and wrestle with one another. I get that. But let's not not let those be divisive within our journey. We saw this earlier on in the journey. If you've been a part of the whole shebang, we talked about the divided kingdom and how horrible that was for the nation of Israel. When we get divided among ourselves, it destroys us. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to be clones, that we all need to be just like one another, that we all need to, to talk the same and dress the same and act the same. Please, God, don't let that happen. I mean, we, we would not want to have a church full of a bunch of yous, whoever you are. I mean, could you imagine an entire church of Juno Smalley's? It would just be just bad jokes all over the place it would i mean the church is beautifully this diverse place where we don't act think uh, all the same we can have disagreements again there're plenty of reasons for us to be divisive but Paul is saying let's come together for the sake of the kingdom because the revolution is bigger than any of us can possibly imagine the last p that i want to look at is chapter 10 and this is Peter. So eight, nine, ten. We look at Philip, Paul, and now Peter. Verse one. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, this uh, is a, a centurion. He is a a Roman official in the in the army in the military. He is a high-ranking Roman official. And it says here that he is in a place called Caesarea. Caesarea is north of Jerusalem in a region called Samaria, which, once again, is the fulfillment of Jesus' words in Acts 1-8, where they would be witnesses in Judea, which is where Philip went down into, and Samaria, which is now where Peter is entering into. This is what this story is all about. And then what we'll see next week is that it moves on to the ends of the earth. So Cornelius is a high-ranking Roman officer. And he hears from the Lord that he is supposed to listen to and invite a gentleman named Peter to come to his house. So Cornelius, a powerful man, sends out three guys to say, go get Peter and bring him here. I want to hear from him. And here's the story, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they, these are the ones that Cornelius sent, This is one of the most carnivorous verses of Scripture that, that, that one would see. Kill and eat. It reminds me of a comment by John Cleese a number of years ago who said, If God did not want us to eat animals, He would not have made them out of meat. Uh, here's. But what we'll discover soon is that, is that this whole picture is, is not about food. It's not about meat. It's about People. Continuing to read, Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Again, one of the boundary markers is food. And Peter was saying, I'm not one of them. I can't interact with that. I can't come together with people who are unclean, with people who do those unclean. I am good. I've drawn the line. Look how good I am. Verse 15, The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean God is saying I'm wiping away these boundary markers I absolutely appreciate the discipline and the respect for the law Christ did not come to to, um, to abolish the law but to fulfill the law verse 19 while Peter was still thinking about the vision the spirit said to him Simon three men are looking for you so get up and go downstairs do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. W- Wouldn't you love it if God would speak that clearly to us? Wouldn't you love it in so many circumstances? Alan, I want you to go down to the fridge and, and fill a huge bowl with ice cream. Do not hesitate to do it, because I am calling you into that. I would love to hear that more often, or whatever the calling is. I'm uh, jealous in some ways of Peter's journey here. Jump to second half of Verse 23. Still in chapter 10, second half of verse 23. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Boundary markers. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And then this incredible story unfolds where Cornelius says, God told me to to invite you in. And then Peter explains to these non-Jews, a group that he is not even supposed to be with, he explains to them who Jesus Christ is, and then it says that everyone who was listening in that experience, everyone believed that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Savior of the world, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this is huge. This story of Cornelius is huge. Paul is the one who is referred to as the one who brought the message of Christ to the Gentiles, and that was his calling, and we read that earlier, and we'll see that Paul is the one who went out and traveled and really went to the ends of the earth, did an amazing job as a revolutionary. But Peter here is the one who broke the ice. Peter here in this story with Cornelius is the first one to experience God moving into the hearts of somebody, the heart of somebody, without going through the Jewish faith. That, that, that it was direct access to this person, to the person of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit without going through the Jewish history, the Jewish custom, the Jewish faith. It wasn't going through Judaism over here. Even the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, he was already a, a Jewish convert. And then he learned about who, because he was reading Isaiah, and he learned about who Christ was. Cornelius and his family, direct access to Jesus Christ. It's all about jesus that's all that's all it is if you want to be a part of the revolution all it requires is for you to have faith in jesus christ if you want to be part of the revolution which is bigger than you could possibly imagine all it requires is faith in jesus christ here at Mountain Park, we don't have membership. You don't have to look at a piece of paper and sign off on, yes, I believe on that with regard to homosexuality. Yes, I believe uh, uh, that with regard to alcohol. Yes, I believe that with regard to this, this, and this. and this. Yes, I will sign up on this. Yes, I will be just like how you told me to be. This is the, what we're going to be here. here. You don't have to commit to tithing a certain amount before you can be a part of the revolution that's between you and your God. It is His own timing. All we need to be part of the revolution is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And so for those of you who are thinking, I can't go to Rocky Point. I'm, I'm not spiritual enough. I wouldn't know what to say to someone. I wouldn't know how to experience something like that. You need to go. You need to go. And you need to invite your uh, coworkers, because I know that, that some of you know people who would never step foot in a church, but who would love to go and do something meaningful out in... Uh, in a country where people are in, in so, so much incredible need. The revolution is bigger than we could possibly imagine. And it is not limited to us becoming just like one another first, talking like one another, acting like one another. Uh, last week I introduced Susan Tram to you and she came up and spoke a little bit. You only got a glimpse of this woman. She is unlike any woman I've ever, I've ever known. And she struggles with, Ellen, do I have to change and become and look and talk like everybody else? No, you don't, thank God. God has made you a unique person and is using you incredibly in the kingdom of God. When I stood on the south rim and looked over the Grand Canyon, I was in awe of its beauty and its majesty. And I had no idea how massive that tiny little crack was. I had no clue. I really did think it was a little tiny crack at the end of the journey. Wherever you are on your journey, whatever you see with regard to your life and your family and your purpose and your future, there is a whole part of the story that you can't even see. You look at it all and you think you can see the whole thing, but the story is bigger than you could possibly imagine. What seems like a little insignificant crack ahead of you it's something that God wants to reveal to you at some point that is huge and beautiful and majestic. Wherever you are on your journey, whether you love it right now or you hate it, don't be satisfied with where you are. And just kind of just kind of tuck in and enjoy the view from where you are, assuming that you've seen the whole thing. Keep walking. Keep walking. Whether you hate it or love it right now, keep walking. Keep stepping into to adventures, into courageous opportunities to have conversations, to be a part of something meaningful, to try new things with regard to your spirituality and connecting with God, and etc., and missions and giving and whatever. Whatever God is stirring up in your heart, keep walking. This revolution is bigger than any of us could possibly imagine. And we don't know what God is doing behind, behind the scenes. We don't know, but he has a greater plan than we're aware of. Let me pray with you as we close. Father, I'm thankful for the glimpses of glory that you have provided for me personally, that there have been times where I have seen your beauty and I've seen amazing things that you've done and i'm thankful for all of the stories represented in this room where where we have seen how incredible you are but god that's not the end of the story that your glory and your plan is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine and father i pray that you would encourage and inspire us to keep on walking to keep moving so that you can unfold your beauty and your plan before us because this story, this revolution, is bigger than any of us could possibly imagine. Pray, God, that you'd come and inspire us this week to sign up for Rocky Point, to sign up for a D group, to do what you're stirring up in our hearts. Because there is something that we cannot see that you are planning before us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, I'm glad you came here today and I hope you have a safe and incredible Memorial Day weekend with those you care about and love about. God bless you.